Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. So appreciate them and all that they do to prepare our hearts for God's word. And uh, we mentioned last week that our theme for this year is 2020, seeing clearly. And what that means is that it's our desire, our prayer, that all of us would have a greater understanding, a fuller understanding of what God's purpose is for all of our lives so that we can fulfill that mission, that purpose that God has. And to that end, um, on Monday, uh, we began our 21 days of fasting and prayer, and we talked last week about why that's important and, and how we can accomplish that in a practical way, in a spiritual way. And as important as it is for all of us to clearly see what God's purpose for our life is, it's equally important that we understand, that we see clearly how we are to live out that purpose. In other words, it isn't enough to know what God wants you to do. You have to know how he wants you to do it as well. And so whether we all realize it or not, every single one of us, lives by a set of what's called core values. Now, so that we are all on the same page, you see it coming up on the screen by definition that a core value is a guiding principle that forms the foundation upon which we work and conduct ourselves. In other words, core values... Uh, help us understand how, how we are going to carry out our life. If they define what we are going to do and how we're going to do it, what's important to us. Uh, for instance, if I could just say for a moment here, a core value uh, on, on parents, on, on, on how they have a, a, a core value on how they're going to raise their children, not just what they're going to do, but how they're going to go about doing that. And for us as a church here at Belmont, our mission has been defined for us in a very simple tagline. And it says, finding direction together. If you look on our website or any of our social media, you'll find that that's our core uh, tagline, if you will. That's our mission, that God has called us to help people find direction for their life. We exist to help people find spiritual direction for their life. Now, because we're all in this journey of trying to discover what, that spiritual direction and none of us has fully arrived, we, we want to do that together. There's no one here that says, well, I, I've arrived, so I'm going to show you how to do that. We're all in this journey together. We say amen to that, right? And so since we're doing that together, we're talking about building a community where we recognize we are just a group of people that want to find God's direction for our life and to help others to find that same direction. And in order to help us fulfill our mission, we have three core values that you'll also find listed on our website. Uh, they are the following, the cultivation of God's glory, 
the cultivation of love and the cultivation of maturity. And we're going to talk about, in the next three weeks, we're going to focus on these three core values, talking about them to help all of us fully understand, to see why uh, we've adapted these as our core values and how they uh, uh, interact with our mission and help us to fulfill that. And so today, I want to talk to you about the first one, which is the cultivation of God's glory. Now, you'll see it come on the screen as well. The cultivate, that word means to promote the development or growth of. To, to promote the development or growth of. And glory means to greatly honor and praise. Let me go back to, if I could, that cultivate for a moment. To promote the development or growth of. That's what that word cultivate means. I know it's an agricultural term, but it's also used uh, in many fashions that maybe we're not familiar with. For instance, parents cultivate their children's character. Everything that a parent does is to promote, to develop the character of their child. Is this too close? Let me move this away a little bit. Uh, so that, that's the role of, of a parent, right, to, to, to raise up their child in such a way to create the right environment so that their character develops into a healthy character and a character that uh, is going to be one that honors God and honors society. So we are here at Belmont, we are giving ourselves over to co the cultivation of God's glory, meaning that everything that we do here at Belmont is designed, is, is, is created in such a fashion so that God will be glorified. In other words, God will receive all the honor and all the praise. We are not here to elevate any individual, especially the leading pastor. Thank you. My wife is the only one supporting me on that. She's the only one with the courage to say amen to that. <laughs> I don't ever want you to put me up on a pedestal because I will fail you. I am just a man just like you. And pray for my wife. She's saying too many amens right now. <laughs> it's too many. <laughs> we don't want to lift up this church. We don't want to lift up uh, it's all, uh, the organization that we are a part of, the Assembly of God. We are simply people whom God has had mercy on, and God has uh, saved us and washed us, and all of that good stuff, and we're here gathered together to find direction for the Lord. And how God does that is in, we want to do it in such a way so that in the end, God and God alone is glorified. We want to lift up only one name in this place, and that's the name Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay. Now, so this cultivating, this promoting, this developing of God's glory, why is that and should that be a core value? In fact, why should it be the very first of all the core values? Psalm 19 verse 1 says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. 
In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says this. For everything, come on, say everything with me. For everything comes from him, meaning God, and exists by his power and is intended for his what? Glory. To him be glory forever. Amen. Everything. The heavens, meaning all of creation, proclaims the glory of God. The heavens, everything that's been created, everything on this earth, our entire universe, all that has been created that the eye can see, that, the, that we can feel. The Bible says they, were, uh, they all were created by God and they proclaim the very glory of God, the praise of God. In other words, the Bible is saying that when we look at the, the majesty of this uh, creation, it should result in God being honored and praised. For the Bible says everything comes from him. God created everything. Everything exists and continues to exist by his power. Everything, 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 everything is intended for the glory of God. Everything that God created was for the sole purpose of his name being glorified. Now, that's what, why God made man. That's why God created the heavens and the earth. This incredible uh, universe that we are just a minuscule part of. So it was so that we, the people that he created, would give him glory, would honor him and praise him. But now we discover this in the book of Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the goodness, the godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made to what people are without excuse. So that people, in other words, everything that we can see with our eyes was created by God for the purpose of God being glorified. Now, God is pouring out his wrath, meaning God is angry because we, though we see it, though we understand that God created it. Listen, in verse 21, for all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, 
God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, that's a mouthful, but here's what it simply means. God created everything. Come on, say everything with me. Everything God created so that he would be glorified, so that he would receive all the honor and all the praise. But man comes along and looks at the majesty of heaven and look at the majesty of the earth, and man says, uh, we're here because of a big bang theory. Although in their heart, their heart is instinctively uh, created by God, for God, the heart understands there has to be a, a higher being, if you want to call it. There has to be someone that created this. No, man has decided we, we're not going to honor God. We're not going to say God did this. We're going to say that we are all here because someday, well, somehow, some way, some, a couple of atoms clashed together, and that started it all. And the Bible says, God got angry because of that. And God has now given over creation that should be glorifying him to a delusion. And thus we see all these uh, passionless, this godlessness going on, and it all has its foundation. It all has its root in that man refused to glorify God. Now, I'm saying that because if everything was created so that God would be glorified, we would do well to, to honor him in that way because that is then fulfilling the very purpose for which we were created. You and I were never created to be happy. We were not created to have a good life. We were created to give glory to God. For everything was created by God, and it was intended for his glory. Are you following me so far? Okay. Now, let's fast forward to those of us who are a Christian, those of us who have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, we've invited him into our hearts uh, to, be, to be our, our Lord. I want to talk to you this morning and remind us all of what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Listen to verse 11 and 12. In him, meaning in Jesus, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Come on, say everything. Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the what? The praise of his what? His glory. In other words, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church and thus all of us here this morning that 
We were actually never the ones to initiate receiving Christ as our Savior. It was God who chose us, who specifically chose us to embrace his son and to receive his son as our Lord and our Savior. We simply responded to God choosing us. And Paul is saying, but I want you to understand, you were chosen by God to fulfill his purpose so that he might be glorified. So no, we were chosen. We were saved for his glory. The sole purpose for our existence as Christians is to bring glory to God. Now, how do we do that? Listen, as his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, make sure you do it for the glory of God. In other words, make sure your motive, your purpose for which what you're doing is because you want God to be glorified. You want God to be honored. You want God to be praised. And so seeing clearly as our theme is that and the cultivating of God's glory is for you and I to live in such a way that whatever we do, whatever we do, would result in God being glorified. And I want to give you this morning four hows, if I could say, that, say it that way, of how you and I should live our life in order to fulfill our mission and to keep this core value at the very center of our life. Number one, How we worship should glorify God. How we worship should glorify God. Let me give you a couple of verses from the Bible. Psalm 34, verse 3. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Now, I just picked up a, a few uh, uh, Verses, but there are so many in the Bible that talk about the fact that how we worship God will determine whether he's glorified or not. That we, have, as, a, as the children of God, as those who call ourselves by his name, that we need to recognize that how we worship must glorify his name. Amen. So let's break that down. What does that mean in its practical sense? Every time that we gather together in this place, we always begin a service with the uh, worshiping God. We sing songs to him. We encourage people to praise his name. That's, that aspect of the service is called the worship aspect of the service, right, which we did earlier today. So the question becomes this for all of us to, to, to consider, for all of us to ask ourselves, looking at our lives clearly, having that full understanding, my worship should honor and praise God. Everything that I do and whatever I do, in whatever fashion I do that, that it should 
wind up honoring and praising God. So the first question I need to ask myself is, when I worship, whether I'm in church, whether I'm at home, privately, wherever I am, whenever I worship, does my worship glorify God? Now, some people may say, but doesn't all worship glorify God? Not necessarily. We are such creatures of habit, aren't we? We can come to church and we can sing the same songs week after week and never actually worship. See, worship involves the engagement of your heart to God. It is your spirit saying, I want to honor God with my Words. I want to honor God with my voice. I want to honor God with the lifting up of my hands. I want to honor God with the clapping. I want to honor God by shining out praises. See, the focus isn't me, it's God. And sometimes, while we're singing songs, our focus is somewhere else, but it's not on God. And though we may be physically singing, we're not really worshiping. I've been guilty of this, and so have you. I'll be the first one to acknowledge my hand. Have you ever been in that place where you find yourself singing, but you're somewhere else? We've all been in that place. We've all fallen guilty to that. And yeah, we're doing all, we're going through the motions, but we're not really worshiping. Sometimes we we even can get quite emotional. Listen, emotion for emotion's sake isn't worship. Jesus said, my father's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Which means this, when we gather together or when we're at home and we take that time to praise God, it should be something that is genuine that comes from our hearts. That we recognize, I am here to worship God. I exist to worship God. And so I would ask you to consider, if you have a difficult time worshiping God, then are you fulfilling the very purpose for which you were created? If we're having a hard time worshiping God here for all that he's done, sacrificing his only son on the cross for our sins so that now we would know what it is to have our sins forgiven, putting his spirit in our hearts, guaranteeing that we belong to him every single day, giving us grace, every single day, giving us mercy, providing for all that we need. If we serve such an incredible God, why would we have a hard time worshiping him? It's my belief that the loudest experience should be in church. You shouldn't have a loud experience in any arena, whether it's sports arena, bullfight, I don't care what it it might be. The, The loudest place on earth should be when God's people gather together in his house. My Bible tells me, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It doesn't say whisper. No, I, I want to be very careful because I, I, I know people say, well, you know, I'm just not a shouter and all of that kind of stuff. Stop lying. We all shout. Come on. We shout at one another. We shout for our teams. We, sh- we, we find occasions to shout when our heart is engaged in something that we want to be engaged in. Right? Come on. That's the truth. So it's not, it has nothing to do with personality. It has everything to do with motive. Do I want God to be glorified? 
Another way is, does my worship truly honor and praise God? So that's number one. How we worship should glorify God. Number two, how we speak to people should glorify God. 63rd Psalm, the third verse says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Now, I'm not just talking about glorifying God now in worship. I'm talking about how we speak to one another. Because remember, our life, it should be such, lived in such a way that it glorifies God. It honors God. So how I talk to people, and I'm not talking about even here in church. Because we all know what it is to wear church clothes. By church clothes, I mean, you know, we all know how to act. How we're supposed to act in church. I'm talking about when you get out of church and get into your car. And all of a sudden, that person cuts you off. Or the person in front of you is not going fast enough. Pops, that 67-year-old pastor, he's in front of you and he's like, ah, you know, I got to get somewhere. Or if you're like me, when you go to the supermarket and you look for the shortest line, and there's always that precious little old lady that's in front of you, and she's got $3.29 she's got to pay for, and she brings out all these nickels and pennies, and you're like, oh, God. And the line you didn't want to get on, you look at that, and that line is already gone. <laughs> what we say to one another at home. What we say in school should glorify God. And listen, what we say on social media should glorify God. In other words, before you hit send, ask yourself, if what I'm about to post, does this honor God? Will this glorify God? And if you can say yes to that, then you can go ahead and hit send. Because remember, how we speak to people should glorify God. Number three, we got how we worship should glorify God. We've got number two, how we speak to people should glorify God. Number three is how we live should glorify God, meaning our actions. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 Verses 11 and 12, the Bible says this. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, in the 15th chapter, in the 8th verse, the Lord said this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. How I live my life, not just the things I say, but what I do, Am I bearing fruit? Meaning, the Bible teaches us that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all these wonderful 
divine attributes. Uh, that should be part of my character. So how I'm living my life, is it glorifying to God? Am I actively engaged in fulfilling God's purpose for my life in that whatever God's called me to do, I believe with all my heart, God has called every child of his to do something for the body of Christ. There's no such thing as someone who has been saved and uh, by the Spirit of God, sealed, and then sits and does nothing. We all are to serve a purpose, a function, if you will. And so the encouragement that we find in the scriptures that Paul said, I'm praying for you that you will do all of these good deeds so that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. It brings no glory to God, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, if we week after week, month after month, sit and do nothing in church. Your attending church doesn't, alone doesn't glorify God. Fulfilling the purpose for which he saved you, that brings glory to God. Number four, how we handle hardships should glorify God. Here's an interesting verse that sometimes we have a struggle fully understanding. Do you remember way back when the children of Israel were under bondage? They were slaves in Egypt. God had raised up Moses and sent Moses to be his spokesperson to talk to Pharaoh about setting his people free. But God told Moses something that is sometimes difficult for us to understand. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So God tells Moses, here's what's going to happen, Moses. You know, Pharaoh, that your enemy, the king who is the enemy... I'm going to put it in Pharaoh's heart to chase after you. I'm the one doing that. And I'm doing that so that I can gain glory. Let me apply that to us here today. Because we all have a spiritual Pharaoh. We have an enemy who wants to destroy our lives. Who wants to keep us enslaved to doing things that we know don't honor God. Now, the interesting thing here is, before God would destroy Pharaoh, he used Pharaoh first. The, here's the part that we struggle with. If it were me, I would say, if I were Moses, I would say, time out, God. Why don't you just deal with that guy right now? Why does he have to chase us? Why can't you just destroy him now? And God said, because I got a plan to bring glory to my name. And I want the Egyptians to recognize ultimately who I am. Listen, there are times where we pray because we feel that we are under spiritual attack and we're kind of dealing with all kinds of things. And we're crying out to God, oh God, oh God, what's going on, God? Save us, set us free from this thing. And God's saying, I'm the one who is allowing your Pharaoh to attack you. I am the one that has allowed that hardship in your life. 
I am the one that has orchestrated that difficulty that you're encountering. And I'm doing that so that my name might be glorified. Now, if you're like me, you're like, Rob, can we find another way to glorify your name? I mean, right in the natural, nobody wants to go through a hardship. Nobody wants a difficulty. But we need to learn something here. We exist so that he might be glorified. We don't exist to be happy. God is not there as our sugar daddy in the sky to give us everything we want, when we want it, how we want it. He, we exist for his purpose. And what's his purpose? To glorify his name. That means God said, whatever is going to bring me the most glory, the most honor, the most praise, I am going to orchestrate in such a way that your Pharaoh, uh, he exists for my purpose and my purpose alone. And so until my name is glorified, your Pharaoh will remain. And he did remain, right? God wanted to demonstrate that all these ten plagues. And it was God hardening Pharaoh's heart every time. That he would not let the people go. Even his advisors were saying, Pharaoh, come on, we, we're whooped already. Let them go. Pharaoh, no, I won't do it. And people said, man, that Pharaoh is stubborn. He was stubborn because God was behind it all. And we may not understand all of that. There are times where we may get even frustrated with God. Because we feel God should be moving the way we want him to move. In fact, we get good at trying to manipulate God. Well, God, wouldn't he give you more glory to do it this way? Come on, are you like me or what? We already have. I, oh, God, I, I can see the parades, God. I mean, everybody will be praising you if we do it my way. God made Abraham a promise, didn't he? He told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I know your wife hasn't been able to conceive. I know you guys are old in age, but here's my promise. You are going to have a biological son of your own. 25 years passed since God made that promise. Abraham and Sarah are well along in years. That's a very kind way of saying they'd be real old. <laughs> Romans 4, 20 and 21 says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham. Abraham gave glory to God. He, he worshiped God. He, he praised God in such a way that it gave him such honor even before his wife came out pregnant. Listen, in your hardship, do you want to glorify God? Praise him in the midst. God, I praise you because I belong to you. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but here's what I do know. God, you're going to work it out in such a way so that your name is glorified. And I'm going to start glorifying even now. I'm going to praise your wonderful name for you are good. You see, you can't just say God is good only when he is good. You, you got to be able to, in faith, acknowledge his goodness even though life may not be turning out so good at the moment for you. 
That's what really glorifies God. In fact, listen to what, how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result, here it is, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, what is the Bible saying? What is God saying to you and I this morning? If you find yourself in trouble, if you find yourself in a trial, in a hardship, whatever word you want to use, if you find yourself in the midst of some difficulty, God is saying, I created that situation. I allowed that circumstance in your life for one purpose. I want to prove your faith that it's genuine. Because when your faith is genuine in the faith, in the face of hardship, my name is glorified. And I don't know about you, but I often have a tendency to proclaim to have more faith than I really have. I think for the most part, most of us are in that place where we think we're, we have a strong, solid faith until the trouble shows up. And then we tend to start complaining, murmuring, wondering where God is and why God has allowed these things to happen. And God wants to demonstrate to us, I allow those things because I want you as my children to have faith in me. It's easy to have faith in God when everything is going well. Right? Worship team, if you will come, please. It's easy to say, oh, God is good when everything is going wonderful. But is God still good when you get to your job and your boss says, we're letting you go today? Has God changed in that moment? Has he stopped being good? Well, no, he hasn't. We all know that. But that's when the struggle comes. The testing comes. Am I going to honor God? Am I going to praise God in the midst of this trouble? We were talking on this past Wednesday about how Jehoshaphat was confronted by a combination of five armies that were marching toward Jerusalem to destroy the nation of Israel. Jehoshaphat knew we can't fight that enemy. They're too big for us, too much, too strong. So he gathered all the people and he said, we're going we're gonna to fast. We're going to deny ourselves food and we're going to press in to cry out to God. And as he gathered the people, they began to cry out and he told God, God, I don't know what to do but my eyes are fixed on you. In other words, he was saying, God, the problem is too big for me. I don't want to try to work this thing out. I can't work it out. I don't, know, I don't have a direction to go to. But here's what I do know. You have the answer. And God responded by telling Jehoshaphat through the prophet, this is not your battle. This is my battle. You got to go out there and do what I call, tell you to do, but you're going to stand still and watch the victory I'm going to bring you today. And the next day, they marched out to meet the enemy. 
But God told them, you're not going to have to fight. But they still had to march out in faith. And as they started marching out in faith, Jehoshaphat consulted the other leaders and said, how should we do this marching? And somebody had the wisdom to say, we need to start singing. And he began to sing, he is good, his love endures forever. And as they sang, the Bible says, God began to rout the enemy. And he put it in their hearts to begin fighting one another. And they all fought one another to the point that every single soldier was killed. When the Israelites got onto the battle scene, the entire army, this five-nation army, was totally destroyed. And it took them three days to gather the plunder. There was so much equipment that was left behind, so much food, so much silver, so much gold, that it took them three days to gather it. And so the valley of conflict became the valley of blessing. Listen to me. Your trouble, God can easily turn it into a valley of blessing. That's nothing for God. The important thing is the position of our hearts. Are we going to glorify him in the midst of hardships and trouble and just say, God, I don't know what to do, but here's what I do know. You have the answer, and because you have the answer, I'm going to worship you and praise and magnify your name. I want you to stand with me this morning. Let me remind you of Romans one more time as it comes up onto the screen. For everything, that means you in this room, those of you watching over the internet, everything, everyone, if I could put it that way, comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. How we worship should glorify God. How we speak to people should glorify God. How we live should glorify God. And how we handle hardships should glorify God. When how we live glorifies God, then we fulfill the very reason that we were created.